Well, we have a special guest with us this morning. If you remember last year, um, Sophie Major came and shared with us what she did last summer, where she uh, just kind of up and bought a plane ticket and flew to Africa, and, you know, like you do. And uh, so, uh, and so. After she left, Ben and I were talking and we thought we would love to have her back and just kind of do a bit of kind of an interview on how that whole experience has shaped her, her faith since then, how the, what the trip did to kind of shape her faith. And so uh, she's here today and we're going to just kind of talk through what, what she did a little bit, but also really not just the what, but the why behind her trip. Why did she go? What was it that motivated her and drew her uh, to buy that plane ticket and, and go to Africa like you do? Uh, so would you join me in welcoming Sophie Major? All right. So, for those of you who don't know, Sophie is the granddaughter of Edwin and Sharon Randolph, who have been here for uh, ages and members of Loyalty Christian Church. So uh, we are we have a little bit of a family connection. They've been here. She's been here many, many, many times before she ever kind of came on stage and shared with us uh, about her trip last summer. Um, but for those who maybe weren't here when you were here that day last year, kind of give us a, a rundown of what you did last summer. What was it that you did? Okay, so last summer, I can everyone hear me okay? I was told I wasn't loud enough last time. So um, last summer, I spent two months in Uganda in Africa. That's in East Africa. Um, I spent about a week and a half teaching in a village. Uh, I was teaching and working at a school. Um, after a week and a half, I realized it wasn't really for me. Um, there wasn't a lot for me to do there, so I... Um, went to a different town. It was called Jinja. It was more of a city. There were more white people there, and I felt more comfortable. And um, I worked for a medical clinic during the day. We cut insects out of people's feet. And then in the evenings, I worked at a boys' home. Uh, the boys were all street kids at once in their life, um, either came from a prison or were living on the streets, and we took them in, and we, um, they went to school during the day. So I would go, and i just tutor them in the evenings. But, yeah, that's what I did for the whole summer. In short. In short, yeah. You know, cutting bugs out of people's feet. Just your normal average summer for the college student. Uh, I washed cars in the summer when I was younger. I never cut bugs out of people's feet. Uh, so why? Why did you want to go? You obviously had a heart for these kids. Um, was there something that made you pick that region of Africa? Um, so since I was little, I would say, I mean, my mom could probably say more about this than I could, but I, I think I was a really sensitive kid. I cried all the time. <laughs> like, I mean, I still cry all the time. Like, it's not even if I'm just sad, like if I'm happy or excited or like nervous, I'm just like constant tears. So, um, I think I just grew up really sensitive. Um, also just having compassion for people. I think my parents really taught me just to treat everyone the same and to love everyone the same. And even if someone looks different or acts different than you, they're still human, you know. So I think um, my parents had a lot to do with that, too. My mom was a special ed teacher, and so she really um, instilled in my brain that just because someone's different doesn't mean that they're less of a human. So um, I think I really grew up with this, just trying to teach everyone that they're loved and they're, you know, everyone's human and everyone has feelings. So I kind of grew up with that. And then... Um, my compassion for the Ugandans kind of began when I was in junior high. I watched a video, actually, um, which I know now that the organization is totally not legit. But at the time, all the facts were real about the war that had gone on in Uganda and um, people going through these villages and burning the villages to the ground and children being taken in. 
five years old holding guns that way more than they did. And so I really just felt compassion and just kind of felt like it was my responsibility to go and do something. I couldn't just watch this video and move on with my life. You know, I had to do something. So um, I think it began in about junior high when I decided I really want to go to Africa at some point in my life. So, okay, so you saw a video and that kind of got you started. Your research found out that organization wasn't quite legit. Um, so how did you kind of, as you got older, pursue that and kind of start doing your research into Uganda? Mm -hmm. So um, I think all through high school, I think people would say that they knew that I wanted to go to Africa at some point. I mean, I think it was I was pretty vocal about one day I want to go to Africa and help these people that I had seen up in a video in junior high that wasn't legit, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so, But it really moved me. And so um, my senior year of high school, I decided to pursue nursing in college to... Uh, um, so that after I graduated, I would have the knowledge to go over there and help these people in a way that they would need help, you know, um, medically and just being able to love on them, but also knowing their needs and being able to meet that. So that's why I pursued nursing in college um, so that I would be a help of, to them once I graduated. So you'd have a tool to go with, okay. Right. Now, for those of you who don't know, having a heart for a specific place in Africa is important because Africa is huge. Mm -hmm. It is an enormous continent that has a ton of social diversity on it. And I think a lot of times Americans, when we think Africa, we have kind of this stereotype of what we think of as Africa. But Africa is very varied in terms of the cultures and the languages that are spoke all over the place. And so you need to catch when she has a heart for a certain part of Africa, that is unique, and she understands that there's parts of Africa that are different than the other, and she kind of zeroed in on that one spot, and God gave her a heart for that, that one locale. Now, so you have compassion. Are you the kind of person that, you know, when the, the Sarah McLaughlin, I will remember you, commercials come on, you kind of tear up at those two kind of thing? I lose it. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I love animals. I've been a vegetarian for like seven or eight years now, so I just like anything that has a beating heart and can feel pain, I'm just like, it pulls uh, it, at me. It gets yeah. you and you can't, yeah. So yeah, it's like turning the channel back. So you gotta, you yeah, know. my wife's that way too. And I think a lot of us kind of have the compassion for people. We've all seen, you know, commercials and, and we know some statistics of, you know, the lack of fresh water, the lack of food, the lack of education. Okay, so a lot of us feel the compassion. What do you feel transitioned you from, I feel that, to I'm going to buy a plane ticket right. and go? Um, I think compassion is a good place to start. I think that if you feel compassion for something, um, that means that God's kind of pulling at your heart for it. You know, if you can watch these videos of, you know, children holding these guns and you don't feel anything, maybe check yourself. But um, <laughs> if you do feel <laughs> compassion, you know, that is a good thing. And that's God um, pulling at your heart just because you have this I don't know, this love for humans that God put on your heart, and we all have that, I think. Um, but going from compassion to actually doing something, I think, is another step that you have to take just whenever you evaluate yourself and evaluate, am I ready for this, and just praying about it and knowing. Um, I did a lot of praying whenever, like before I booked my plane ticket and after and everything, just to prepare and make sure that it was God telling me to do this and not just my own flesh just wanting to go now instead of waiting three years until I completed my nursing degree. So before you went, okay. were there ever those moments that you were like, no, were you, I mean, were, were, was there a lot of fear? Mm -hmm. You know, because obviously the way you went, you just kind of bought a ticket and went. I mean, you had plans when you got there, but, you know, a lot of us, you know, when we set up and we think churches go on a mission trip, you think 12 people go with somebody who's been there a ton of times, and you just kind of bought the ticket and went, and 
so what were you, what were the hurdles you had to get over to, to actually go? Um, I guess kind of I bought the plane ticket probably sooner than I should have, but um, I kind of when I got home from Christmas break after um, the first semester of my freshman year of college, I kind of just was bored and decided. I'd start looking at places, and so I started looking at places in America I could help, because I just wanted to do something with my summer, um, and I figured volunteering instead of just taking a three-month-long vacation would probably do more for my heart than, you know, sitting on a beach, which I totally could have done, but um, I, so I looked at places in America, California, just kind of get away from home, no offense, mom, but um, then I also looked at, like, South America, Central America, a little farther from home, um, then I just decided to check Africa at one point, not even thinking Uganda because I knew in my mind like I was going to do that after I graduated. So Uganda was a no-go right now. So I looked at Ghana and different places, South Africa, and at one point I just decided to check like what's going on in Uganda? Like do they possibly need my help right now? And so I looked into it and I found this school and I just really found that God was telling me to do it now. Like just go now. And um, so I guess a lot of the hurdles were one, making sure that it was God and not just myself and also um, when I would tell people, it was hard because humans, by nature, are very opinionated and will tell you their opinions on things, whether you want to hear it or not. So um, I kind of did keep it a secret for a while that I wasn't going, that I was going to Uganda for the summer just because I didn't want to know what everyone thought about it. But then whenever I did start telling people, people told me their opinions. I'm too young to go. It's dangerous. Uganda is a dangerous place to be. You should go with someone who's gone before. So um, kind of if I didn't have fear to begin with, I think people kind of made me fearful after that. Um, but then I had a plane ticket. I'm like, I gotta go. So um, I guess the first moment that I actually was like, uh, maybe not, was whenever, I remember this, I was thinking about this the other night, um, when I was flying over Africa and I could see like the outline of Africa, I was like, okay, maybe I could go back now. And I was like, oh wait, I'm already here. Like I can't go back now. So I might as well fully embrace it. But um, yeah, there were a few moments of fear that I just had to, you know, just take a deep breath and just trust that God was in this and God was leading me. So um, yeah, it just kind of all comes back to trusting God and knowing that it was in his hands and not mine. So you mentioned people being a kind of a hindrance, maybe a little bit more of a hurt than help. Let me let me ask you guys this: How many of you would, if you were on a, you would view what she did last year as extreme? Okay, that's what I thought. Now let me ask you: Do you view what you did as extreme? I don't really like. My first reaction is like, no, it wasn't extreme. Like I felt like God wanted me to do that, and I did it. And that's kind of the humble part of me talking, but not that part. I feel like. Being a Christian is kind of an extreme thing to do. Like, Jesus was an extreme dude, you know? Like, I mean, he died for us. Like, that's pretty extreme, you know? So, and I think we're all called to be like Christ and love like Christ, and we're called to um, live like him and spread his love. And um, so that's kind of an extreme thing to do. So if I look at it like that, yeah, it was extreme. But I think we're all kind of living extreme lives in our own ways right now. Just choosing to be a Christian every day and choosing to follow Christ and love like him is an extreme thing. So maybe it was extreme, but I think we're all living extreme lives. Do you think more of us average, I'll say average Christians, you know, from, from the, our perspective, you know, even when I heard you were going, I was like, whoa, that's pretty, that's a big deal. She's going to Africa. You know, I'm a pastor and I kind of had that first thought too. So for those of us who are kind of maybe haven't done something like that, you think more of us have extreme things like that in us? Um, from an adventurous side, I would say that if you feel a passion for 
leaving the country and you feel like that's something that you could do go for it like if you feel like god's in it and you're praying about it and stuff i totally think you should do it but it doesn't have to be leaving this country to do something extreme you know especially for god um just waking up every day and choosing to put someone before yourself or serving people and not trying to be served all the time i think that's an extreme thing to do and um, I think everyone can do that, and I see people do that every day in my life. You know, Christians around me will put me first or choose, you know, put other people before them, and I think that's a really big deal. So it doesn't have to be buying a plane ticket and going to Africa to do something extreme for God. I mean, God's really pleased with what you're doing in America and just every day in your mission field, whether you're going to work or school or you're at home with the kids, like, that's an extreme thing for God, and you're as long as you're living for God and loving other people like he called us to do, then... I think that's extreme. So you're saying from maybe the typical American perspective, what you did was extreme, but from being a Christian right. who God calls us to step out in faith and to take those hard steps and take those mo- those uh, those moments that are going to kind of stretch us and grow us, you didn't feel like it was that extreme looking at it through the right. lens of your faith. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So w- what did this do to your faith? You're, how, how many months out now from going? Um, I left almost a year ago. Almost a year so, ago, yeah. okay. So you're, let's say a year out-ish. Mm-hmm. How would you say your faith is different on the back side of this trip from before you went? Okay, um, so I'd say before I went, my faith was in the process of strengthening, you know, getting into prayer and really reading my Bible and just trying to figure out whether God wanted me to go or not. Um, then I was there, so I had no choice. While I was there, I would say my faith grew a ton because I was finally in this environment where I didn't, I don't know, like, I really, this sounds bad, but the only book I had to read was my Bible, so, like, I would go to bed at night, I'm like, I'm kind of bored, I should read, and I have my Bible on my phone, so I'd read my Bible every night, and I wake up and read my Bible, and it was kind of, like, it was kind of forced, but after a while, it became habit, and I just, um, I would feel things throughout the day, and I'm like, oh, I read about that last night, like, how convenient is that, you know, but it's not convenient, it's God, but you know what I'm saying, um, What was the question? So your faith grew as you when you went over there, right? No, I totally get that. Um, so, oh yeah, when I came back. Yeah, when you came. So versus being like <laughs> you had a year to come back, yeah, and, right. and process all this. Uh-huh. So after coming back, I think a definitely a big part of it is realizing God is the same if I'm in Uganda or if I'm in America, and it's the same for you guys too. I mean, God's the same everywhere you go, and. Um, you don't have to do something super extreme for God to be there and for God to be in it. And I think I've also learned kind of to balance things because when I first came back, it was really hard to not feel guilty about everything that I had. You know, I came home to this closet full of clothes that I already had and the fridge was packed with food and we had hot water at any moment of the day that we wanted it. And it was just, it was hard not to feel guilty at first and just kind of break down in tears because I had been so ungrateful for most of my life and not appreciating these little things that I had. Um, But I'm learning to balance it and not feel guilty. I've heard people say before, um, if they're full, but they should keep eating because people in Africa are starving, you know? That doesn't really solve anything. You know, if you're full, stop eating. But... (laughs) But remember to thank God for your food, you know? Like you not eating your meal isn't going to send it to Africa, but you can thank God for your meal and just be thankful for the little things that you have. And I think that's, I've really grown a lot in just appreciating the things that I have and the things that now I see that God has given me and I am privileged to have in America that I didn't have in Uganda. Um, But yeah, I've just really grown to see that God's the same. God's consistent. And even when your plans are changing, it's not what you think it is. God's there. So 
So don't, don't you think, though, that that pain, that guilt, that burden, you don't want to totally get rid of that, though, because that's kind of what right. got you there, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And I think guilt's a good thing to feel to an extent, but not to the point where every night I'm, like, crying myself to sleep, like, ah, I should be in Uganda because this is, I have a warm bed to sleep in, you know, but um, also, yeah, I don't want that to go away. I don't want to get comfortable because in Uganda, I was so uncomfortable all the time like I'm always just sweaty and I'm probably doing something that I wasn't trained properly to do like cut insects out of people's feet like who's trained to do that in America you know you didn't have that class in high school yeah I didn't get that one I don't know if you guys did but um razor blades and safety pins you guys get that class no probably not um (laughs) but um no no that's fine no so you went and you were so uncomfortable and that that burden of it I mean which is funny because when you're there, it's a different kind of discomfort. Right. There's an, almost an ache and a longing when you're here, and there it's kind of this very real. Yeah. And so you don't want it to go away because mm-hmm. it's the – you don't want to you don't want to come back and be guilty for the sake of being guilty right. and just wallow in your grief. Right. You want that to be kind of a motivator, right. mo- motivator for you, right? Mm-hmm. kind of makes me want to do something and just – I don't want to get comfortable here in America. When I was in Uganda, I – um, really would have stopped anything I was doing if I saw someone that was in need just because, one, I didn't know anyone there, so it's kind of easier to be like, oh, no one knows me, so I can do whatever I want. You know, I can help this person even if they're covered in insects and no one's going to be like, ew, she's touching him, you know? So um, I think that was a big difference than being in America and seeing a knee, someone on the side of the road and you don't stop, you keep driving. I mean, that's a big deal if someone's tire is blown and you just keep driving. But... In Uganda, if I saw someone in need, I would just stop what I was doing and help them because that's what I was there to do, you know. I went to Uganda to help people. Then I come back, and I'm like, why am I not doing that every single day, you know? Why am I not always stopping what I'm doing to help someone who's in need, you know? So I think the guilt's definitely a good thing that's um, sticking with me. I want to continue just kind of living this uncomfortable life for God and just making sure that I'm putting myself after other people. I'm putting other people before me, and if I see a need, I'm going to do it. Now, that burden drove you to be kind of obedient to God when you were there. Mm-hmm. And when you were there, did the discomfort of being there kind of, you said you, your prayer life grew, you were reading your Bible more out of boredom or whatever. Right. It's still discomfort. Um, did that kind of keep you going back to God every day when you were doing these kind of things that were kind of ridiculous? Mm-hmm. And right. I kind of felt like I was finally in a place where I, I, I really needed God. Like in America, you don't, I mean, we all need God, don't get me wrong, but we don't physically need God. You know, if we're sick, we go to the hospital. If we're hungry, we go to the grocery store. You know, there's so many, we have so many things available here. But there, I mean, some nights I would literally go to bed hungry. I'm like, oh, I forgot to eat all day because I was so busy. Or all I had for dinner was white, ri- white rice with the boys because they had white rice and fish, and I don't eat fish, so I would eat literally white rice for dinner. And I was hungry, and I would just pray to God, like, but thank you for the white rice, you know, thank you for giving me a meal, because I know some people aren't eating tonight, and um, if I got sick, you know, there's all these diseases and stuff you can get in Africa, I didn't take my medicine like I should have, and I did drink some of the water like I shouldn't have, and I totally could have got sick, but it was all in God's hands, and I knew that, and I was praying just for this comfort and safety every single day that I was there, and I really felt this just, um, I don't know, this just, like, covering of prayer over me because I knew people back home were praying for me and I was praying Um, also being somewhere so uncomfortable to me especially the first week I was there I was in this village and it was just I had no power or electricity it was very uncomfortable and I was the only white person 
probably in like 30 miles. I don't actually know because it was so small, but um, it felt like I was the only white person in the world, and I, it was just kind of scary, you know, and um, I think just praying to God and just praying that I would feel comfort. I mean, I would wake up and I would walk down the streets alone and I felt totally comfortable. You know, I felt like no one was going to hurt me and maybe they planned on it, but they didn't, you know, and I think it all just comes back to faith and trusting in God and just knowing that no matter what happens, it's in his hands. Now, a second little thing I wanted to kind of flesh out here real quick was you had mentioned, you know, a little bit of that guilt coming back. Um, I think when we talked the other day, you called it reverse culture shock. What was the biggest thing that shocked you when you got there and the biggest thing that shocked you when you came back? Um, Okay, I guess the biggest thing that shocked me when I got there was probably the smell. Like, I, (laughs) I wasn't prepared for the smells of Africa. I mean, like, it is extreme just, like, everywhere you, and it's not a good smell. Don't don't think it's a good smell. It doesn't smell like flowers. It was like gasoline and dirt and sweaty men. And it was just everywhere you go, you couldn't get this stench off of you. I didn't bring perfume with me. And I should have because sometimes um, me and my friend I was um, traveling around with sometimes we would get on the back. Okay. I don't know if I explained this last time I was here, but the way to get around there is on the back of a random guy's motorcycle. And it sounds a lot more dangerous than it is, but that's just what you do there. So um, if we were going to town, we would get on the back of this man's motorcycle. And like, I remember one night we got on the back of one man's motorcycle and he must've put on cologne and it smelled so good. We were like, this is the first good scent I've smelled in Uganda. And it was amazing. We're like, let's just go for a ride a little longer. (laughs) We don't actually want to go there. Let's go across town to the other one. But um, no, so that was probably a big shock that no one prepared me for. You know, you can research a lot of things, but no one's like, Uganda smells bad. So I'll tell you that. Um, When I got back, the biggest thing that shocked me um, initially, I would say the size of our shower really surprised me. <laughs> that was really the first thing that I got home, and I took a shower and was like, this is huge. Like, the bathtub is massive, and it's clean, and 15,000 people haven't showered in it today, and there's no, I mean, I showered with a frog for the last, like, three weeks I was in Africa. <laughs> it just, like, it was my buddy, it was big, and it sat in the corner of the shower, and it liked, like, a little splash of the water on him, but um, when I came home, there was no frog in my shower. I kind of missed him, but <laughs> it was still, it was a big thing. Um, another thing that shocked me when I came back was um, not only American music that I could understand, because that's playing everywhere, but also air conditioning is just everywhere. I came back in um, July, so it was really hot outside. Um, and I go into a grocery store, and it's so cold in there. And it was just, like, almost uncomfortably cold. Like, why is it 60 degrees in here? But in Africa, when you went to the grocery store, um, you, like, wanted to rush in and rush out because it's so hot in there. Like, there's no windows. It's just concrete walls. And you walk in, and it's, like, fire, and you want to get out. But... In America, I feel like sometimes you go in and you kind of linger because it's so cool in there. But it was just really different experience than rushing in and rushing out than, you know, feeling the cold air. And there's a million things that are different, but yeah. And I think what we, our goal with having her come back is, I think when, and we talked about this when we, we chatted last week, was oftentimes when you hear somebody who, do, who does something like what she did, you think, wow, you're so awesome. And she didn't feel that way. She didn't feel like she was doing something awesome. She felt like she had an awesome God who had given her an awesome calling, and she was just trying to be obedient to that. And if anything, we just kind of wanted to give 
got a little more glory this morning. And not that she's not awesome. You, you did a good, an awesome thing, and, and I don't think I've ever taken a shower with a frog. And so you did, there's a lot of things that were different, but at the same time, we don't come to give glory. And she doesn't want you to give glory to her because of what she did. She hopes that she can just be an example of obedience. And sometimes God will call you to be obedient in a maybe a bigger way, like getting on a plane and going to another country. Maybe God's going to call you to be obedient by simply having an uncomfortable conversation with someone at work and, and, and opening up about your faith. But the hope is that whatever it is, we will be obedient to our God, even if it's those moments that are uncomfortable and fearful and are stretching us and growing us. And if anything, she wants to be an example of what we can do, of of what we can do when we put our minds to it. One of the things that stuck out to me instantly when you uh, came here the first time and you were talking about your story was you, the school you were at first, you didn't stay there too long, but you did, you you gave to them before you left, correct? What did you do there? Okay, at the school, so I started out I was teaching English um, to like sixth graders, it's called P6 there, but I was teaching them English and um, that didn't really work out because they couldn't understand me because they didn't speak English. So um, (laughs) I ended up, I brought pencil sharpeners with me and I would sit in the back of the classrooms of the younger kids, which was like 60 kids in one tiny little classroom all packed in and I would sit in the back and sharpen their pencils which doesn't sound like a big deal, but I was like blisters on my hands by the end of the day. Um, I'd sit in the back and I'd sharpen these pencils and I have like 20 kids around me like trying to touch my hair and my skin and literally catching the shavings from my pencil because they thought it was like holy or something because my skin was white. I mean, I had people slap my hand and say I touched a holy white person. Like they thought it was like a sacred thing, which is so odd, but um, yeah, so at the school I would sharpen pencils. I taught English a little bit. Um, we also did some manual work. I got donations before I left, so we fixed up uh, one of the bathrooms that was there. was totally just like two open walls, and the kids would go in, but it rains all the time in Uganda, so when it would rain, the water would get in on the kids. So um, we paid to have it all concrete, and the inside and outside, we paid to get the steps fixed, and then two big metal doors on the outside so they wouldn't get rained on um, while they're in the bathroom. Um, we also put concrete on the floors because during the day we'd have to water the floors because they were just dust. Um, so we'd put concrete down so they wouldn't get so dusty. And um, I also painted all the chalkboards at both schools. Yeah. So. Th- Oh, okay. I sharpened the pencils because I heard before I left that the kids all use razor blades to sharpen their pencils, which didn't seem safe to me. So, like, five-year-olds had, like, razor blades in their pockets, which really ended up, I'm like, at the end of the day, it probably does work better than my pencil sharpener. But, um, yeah, it just seemed really dangerous to me. So, I was like, leave your razor blade. I'll sharpen it, you know, with this little plastic thing. So, uh, I brought, like, I don't know, 80 pencil sharpeners with me. So, they've got them now, and they don't have to use razors, but... So, not to put a dollar amount on it or anything necessarily, but about how much did you raise to give to that school for the, the improvements? Um, I think we spent about seven or $800 at that school, yeah. Okay. And f- from my look at it, you totally changed what those kids' every day of school is going to be like. Yeah. And I, th- I thought that was crazy because to us, seven to 800 bucks is a lot of money, but not a one of us in this room can use seven or eight hundred dollars as well and do as much with it as purposefully as she did. I mean, I think sometimes we forget how powerful our our wealth is in other parts of the world. I think we totally forget because, I mean, 
in America, we, I mean, you might not be rich, but it doesn't take much for someone to go around the world and a college kid raises a little bit of money for, the, for a while and goes to Africa and totally changes this school for how many kids went there? Did you say 60 kids in one room or was there more than one room? They were like 11 classrooms, so there were over 300 kids at the school. Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? That, that a little bit, of, I mean, it's, imagine just how much farther that went than what we would have done with it. I was talking, it's like, I looked for a grill the other day, and there's like $800 grills at, that you can buy at Lowe's with like granite countertops on them, and it's like, that's not bad if you got it. I mean, if you can get it, there's nothing evil or wrong about spending your money on certain things, but I just think sometimes we underestimate the power of our dollars when we uh, uh, look outside of our, our own little world. So, well, our time is gone and then some, so I really want to thank you for coming this week, coming back, and uh, coming spending Mother's Day with us, and you can brought your family, so you got a good Mother's Day, hopefully for the Randolphs, because I got your crew here, so hopefully you can have a, a good Mother's Day. And um, again, just want to thank you for coming here, so let's give Sophia a big uh, hand. <laughs>